I have, I, I have two things that, uh, gosh, this is high. Um, anyway, I have two things that are hanging in my office that I've had there a very long time. One of them is a quote and one of them is a cartoon. The quote is by the fabulous Agnes DeMille, and it is, living is a form of not being sure, not knowing what next or how. The moment you know how, you begin to die a little. The artist never entirely knows. We guess, we may be wrong, but we take leap after leap in the dark. And the cartoon that I have right next to it is a cartoon of this man standing with his face pressed up against two bars of his prison. And he's longingly looking out of his prison, wishing he were free but he doesn't turn to look that there are no other bars on his prison, only the ones that he has his face pressed against. I have survived for almost uh, 45 years in a business, the acting profession that has no tenure. I have uh, done two, three television series before I was 25. Um, I have transitioned into film I have, I am now a part of a th another uh, television series at the age of 61. I have done movies like uh, Mrs. Doubtfire, Norma Ray, Places in the Heart, Absence of Malice, Forrest Gump, and I've done really lousy movies like Surrender and Beyond the Poseidon. <laughs> Equally valuable movies, in my way of thinking. I have learned how to survive, and probably more than that, because I've learned that the struggle is where the work is. The struggle is the work. I have learned to understand that, and I've learned to recognize transition, which was the very hardest thing to do. When I first started, it was in the 60s in situation comedy television. I did a television series called The Flying Nun. And if you don't think it wasn't hard to transition from that to being a serious actor, I've got news for you. <laughs> I was also at a time when, believe me, situation comedy and television actors were not accepted in mainstream film. You were just not accepted. It wasn't that I, I couldn't pass the audition. It was that I couldn't get in the door. And I knew that it was up to me, that if I wasn't where I wanted to be, it was because simply I wasn't good enough. And I had to get better. And I did. I worked at it, I studied, and I studied, and I studied, and a moment happened. I can't say it was really an opportunity as much as it was. Get out of my way, folks. Here I come. And I got a role. I have learned not to panic at not knowing. I have learned how to fall and just fall. I have learned to let go of my own image of myself. This is so incredibly difficult, especially when you're working on such a grand scale as the public arena, any of us who do that. And the public forms an image of you, and you form an image of yourself. And you will have an image of yourselves. Everyone does. But to be able to lose that image and to recreate another one or to allow yourself to exist without an image at all for a while, to allow yourself to leave off the thought of being a winner of being an achiever, of being successful, of being good. 
just let it go until something else forms, and the longer you leave it off, the better. I have transitioned from television in a very difficult struggle to film. And when I was in film doing movies I was proud of, there I was. I'd worked so hard to be there, and the films weren't there. There were no films for women. I had to transition again. I was given the opportunity to develop and produce my own films, something I knew nothing about and had absolutely no desire to do. But I had to do it. I transitioned into developing and producing films. I produced five of my own and directed two, something I was never really sure I was very good at, but I transitioned. And then as my career went on, I realized now I was getting older. And I was in an industry that wants nothing whatsoever to do with older women. So what was I to do now? I was tra to transition and yet again onto the stage. And I did that five years ago, six years ago. Probably the most profound learning experience of my life is I stood backstage at the Goldman, Golden Theater waiting to go on stage in Edward Albee's wonderful play, The Goat. Standing there feeling the weight of Mr. Albee's gorgeous words and my own history, I felt myself sinking to the bottom of this dark, black abyss. My first instinct was to quickly struggle to the top. I needed to breathe, help, get me to the top. But I knew then not to panic. I allowed myself to sink to the bottom of this black hole of nothingness, to this unknown darkness, and to let go. And that I would, I would just rely on and have the confidence that somewhere inside of me, I knew things that I had accumulated information that I could only get to by not knowing them, that I couldn't reach out for the things because they had moved and they were not in their usual place, and to just allow myself to not know where I was going. I have learned also to listen to the voices that tell you you're an idiot, to listen to those voices whenever you do anything most especially in the arts or creative, that tell you you're stupid, you're, you're fat, you're old, you're ugly, you can't possibly know what you're doing, you're going to fail, don't move, stay firmly planted exactly where you are. I have learned to listen to those voices. I know they're not my friend, but they're not my enemy. Here they are in the back seat of my car. I can turn around and look at them. Hi, your voices. I'm going to listen to you. But I'm sitting in the driver's seat. I have my hands firmly planted on the wheel, and you're back there, and you're not driving my car. I've learned to listen to those voices. While I, while I have been here this time, I have been talking to all of you, and I realized what I wanted to do was share with you some things that I use constantly, and I hope that I have time to do it. One of them is an acting exercise, and I wish we really had time to do the acting exercise, but I'm going to do it really quickly. One thing that actors learn early on that everyone needs to know in this room, whether you're going to work with other human beings or whether you're standing in front of a microscope, at one point in your life, you will have to present yourself. One thing you have to know is what you walk in with. What information do you come in that door with before you ever open your mouth? Every single one of you carries a language. It is in your walk, 
It is in who you are. And even if you didn't move, even if you sat in a chair and didn't move, if I were to sit down and you didn't know who I was, each one of you could stand up and give me an idea of what you thought I was. And I would say nine, 99 out of 100 of you would be right. All of you, I urge you, either with your friends or your family, mm, probably not your family, and maybe even not your friends, uh, maybe people you don't know all that well, to just be honest with you. And it may be information you really don't want to hear. You're not as sexy as you thought you were. You're not, you don't come off maybe as intelligent as you thought. You seem cold. You seem arrogant. You seem aloof. You need to know this information because wherever you are in life, you need to have that be part of your knowledge parameter. And it, either you want to bend it, change it, you need to come in with the information of I seem cold, people are put off by the fact that I have something about me that seems distant from what, for wherever your childhood was, whatever genetic composition you're made up of, you have to own this information. Another thing I wanted to do with you, and it has to be ever so quickly, I can, oh, I've got time. Um, there's an, we have spoke, many of us here, about your own history, your own human experience, to bring it into your work, whether it's in the work of academia or the arts. Oh my God, these profound artists here. Your own history, you must constantly own. And many of you have talked to me about that. Um, it is what I do. I vomit my history for a living. <laughs> my own emotional makeup. Every role I've ever done is really exquisitely about me. Edward Albee, I'm sorry, <laughs> I say your words, but it is my life that I live up there through your words and your guidance. Uh, I have found pieces of myself I didn't know existed, and that is the glory of being an actor, to stand in somebody else's shoes, do the research, do the study, and find the places in yourself you didn't know were there, but that truly links to all humans. There is a little exercise. For those of you who have said, how can I stay centered? How can I find my emotional life? I feel in this big bad world I go out in so battered by uh, them, I feel I must put cloaks over myself. I have to hide my own vulnerability. I can't possibly go out and run for office, some of you have said, because I would have to lose my humanness. Um, one little quick exercise you can do for yourself when you are alone, when you think you've lost part of yourself and you've disconnected with the core of who you are, and I have two of them, but this is the first one, is that you sit quietly and very grounded, either on the floor or in a chair with your feet on the ground. Take your shoes off, touch the ground, and close your eyes and recall for yourself a room. This is called the room exercise. Oddly enough, um, uh, you pick a room that has a history for you, but don't necessarily go for a room because you know what emotion comes out of it. Don't look for a result to come out of it. Don't predict, oh, that was the room that I learned that my boyfriend cheated on me and I know that I'm going to be just destroyed. Don't go for that. Go for your mother's room, when you, your mother and father's room when you were growing up. A room that's so filled with history that you couldn't really pinpoint one color to own in it. Plant yourself in that room with your eyes closed and very specifically, this is an exercise when you do it in a group, that you will spend an hour on it with your eyes closed. 
investigating that room, first with your imagination, with your eyes, seeing the walls. Was there wallpaper? Was it paneling? Is there carpet? Where am I in the room? Where are the windows? What time of day is it? Where is the light coming from? Is it shining on my face? Is it on the ground? Can I venture to touch the carpet? Is there carpet? Know what you're leaning against. Are you leaning against the bed? Was there a bed? Was it soft? Did it have a cover on it? Sit there for as long as it takes. And I urge you, to, like meditation, to stay with it, to stay with it. And then when you think you're in the room and you have the geography of the room, touch the floor. Test it. Touch the carpet. Do you feel it? Do you feel the carpet, what it felt like? And then test it even further and listen. Was it near the freeway? Did you hear the freeway? Was it outside? Were there birds? Did, were there dogs barking in the neighborhood? Was there traffic outside? Hear what was there. Take the time to own that room. And I promise you, I, can't, I, can't, I don't know what the result will be, but it will be something. It will be something. And it may take you a while to really register what it is that you felt. But then when you open the door and you go out to have to face the people that ask you to be something you're not, you have some deep part of yourself that will stay registered there. Exercise one. Exercise two that I do all the time. Someone said to me, I will, how will I not lose my voice? How can I perhaps be in front of people and stay genuine? The look to constantly own your own core, it's so easy to get distracted and lost in trying to please and trying to win and trying to be successful and trying not to be humiliated. You lose who you are. And my suggestion that I do all the time, and some of you could do it right now, I would ask all of you to, except I'm embarrassed to do that. So some of you do it. Do it. Look down at your hands. Look down at your hands. And as you're looking at your hands, remember those little hands that you looked down at when you were five and six, when you held on to a tricycle, when it gripped it tight. And you looked down at them, and those little hands held on to that trike. And that trike got bigger and turned into a bike. And the hands held you on that bike. And then those hands that you are so familiar with became an automobile. And you drove that car for the first time. And it took you away from your home. It took you out on the roads and into danger. But there in front of you were those hands. And those hands are the same hands that you looked at as you stroked your lover, your first lover. There your hands. And there they are. And perhaps they've held your own children. They've also held your textbooks. They've held you upright in front, of a, in front of a computer. They've typed your papers. They have done your bidding. They have done your bidding. And they know who you are many times more than you do. Your hands and your body hold a language that sometimes your brain can't access. And when you feel most lost about the uniqueness and specialness and you-ness of your voice, take your hands, look at them and hold your face, hold your face, and there you are. You are there with you. You are there with you, and everything you have accumulated is right here, right now, 
in your hands and now your face, and you have your own voice. Joseph Campbell said, you must enter the forest in the darkest part, where there is no path, because where there is a path, it's someone else's. And it's absolutely true. But I say, you must enter the forest again and again and again and again, where there is no path. Because not only is the fear that it will be somebody else's, but even worse, it may be your own. And you're retreading over your own path. Enter the forest, holding your own hand in the very darkest place. Thanks. <laughs>